Hello everyone and welcome to literally the worst podcast, which is literally the worst thing to ever have existed, right? Yeah, episode three, so it's... Episode three. Is, do they rank like in how worse I think they they're are? all equally the worst. Okay. Yeah, it's like zero is always zero. I think <laughs> yeah. that's where we're at. Uh, this is Eden and... Alon. And yeah, we're just going to dive in, right? Yeah, so today we want to talk about perfect books, but since we mostly read sci-fi and we don't want to like... Uh, talk out of our asses yeah or more out of our asses <laughs> so we'll limit ourselves to perfect sci-fi books yeah this came up like organically in conversation we, yeah, we started thinking ago. about that yeah I think it was last week uh, and it's a really interesting question because it needs to be both perfect science fiction but also you know it's a book yeah so if you write like an amazing science fiction story but you can't write for shit we're explicit content by the way right now we mark that so we can say whatever the fuck we want yeah it's not it's not going to be a good sci-fi book because it's first and foremost a book so what is a perfect sci-fi book so i think that the first thing that's that always bothers me is like the balance between the grand ideas that a not that a novel has and the amount of characters that it has i think that the worst sinner in this regard is philip k dick Because he has no characters, like, his characters are very cardboard. I don't know, that's not accurate. Some books he does have, but usually he's more focused on the ideas. And while that's interesting, you need people, right? Because we're not ideas, we're people, and, and we like to read about other people. So you need to have a good balance between ideas and characters. I think that's, like, the first thing that, that makes a great sci-fi book. And again, great books, if it's like... A novel about 19th century India, it's, yeah. it's, it could be a great idea, but if you don't have people in it, then it won't work. Yeah. Um, it does need, like, to be a perfect sci-fi book, it does need, though, that balance. So you mentioned Philip K. Dick, who has all ideas and no characters, but the other way, it's, it might be a good book. It won't be a great sci-fi won't book. It won't be interesting. It won't be a great sci-fi book, because you need that central idea. The, the thing I love most, the good sci-fi for me, is something that... Like has this one or two central core ideas mm-hmm. which then everything is built around like the entire plot the entire world yeah. is built around how this thing which is different from the reality we live yeah. in what if yeah just a single what if yeah that's amazing would you say that the lower the number of what ifs the better the book like if a book can pull off the storyline with one what if is that superior I'm not sure it's better than Uh, it does speak to the greatness of the idea yeah. itself. Like, it would be, I'd quote that book, like, check out this amazing idea and what they built around it. Yeah. But it can be a great book. With so like, it, needs, it needs everything around it, but I do think that if you have a great book that has five what-ifs and an equally great book that has one what-if, that book would be superior. It might be. It's more um, elegant, I think. Yeah, it's more elegant. That's, it's more impressive. Yeah. So another thing, uh, in my opinion, which makes for a great book, and specifically a sci-fi yeah. book, and it's something that's worth mentioning in the context of sci-fi books because a lot of them fail at that, is uh, show, don't tell. Yeah. So show, don't tell. That's like the number one rule of writing in general, right? Yeah, and it's kind of difficult, in, it's kind of difficult to grasp what it means in books because it's not a visual, visual medium. Yeah. Uh, but there are a lot of books which, like, force their sci-fi-ness and their strangeness without building the world organically. They're just like, oh, and then the epic ones with caps <laughs> uh, went forth into the yeah. spaceships of Orion. And yeah, I think it's a matter of being uh, heavy-handed. I mean, it's not science fiction. I mean, fantasy, 
Lord of the Rings is a perfect example. Like if you need to spend 25 pages on describing something or scene, you're not good at describing something. Yeah. Well, Tolkien is an interesting example we'll talk about in the future, but I think that it's all about not being didactic and being more subtle with how you describe the world because our perceptions of the world don't work like that. It's more subtle. Like it's more of a gestalt. You don't see every single detail of yeah. the street. You have this idea of the street. And a good writer is, is someone who is able to construct that gestalt without um, describing every single trait of the street itself. Yeah, so uh, maybe let's give our first real example, yeah. which, what, which is the one that sparked this discussion initially and uh, is, of course, a great example of world building, and that's Dune. Yeah, by Frank Herbert. By Frank Herbert, of course. So, so wait, 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 wait. Before yeah. we start, when you say Dune, you mean the first book, right? I mean the only book. No, <laughs> I'm not doing the, ma- the Matrix on this. But yeah, I mean the first bu- book called Dune, Buke called Buke, Dune. Um, which is a masterpiece, and yeah. specifically in the context of world building, like Arrakis. Even without the movies and the TV series and all that, you have so much in your head about what Arrakis is and how and it looks yet, and how it feels. I agree completely, but, but even even better, you have a lot of that you don't know. Yeah. A lot of things that Frank Herbert didn't uh, bother with describing, like a Fremen culture. You know bits and pieces or how they came to be or the Butlerian Jihad, which is like in the background of, of, of the entire book. And he never bothers to answer those questions because he knows that that's not how perception works, right? Yeah. He leaves places unattended, undescribed, even... Uh, important storylines, right? What the Fremen are is an, a very important storyline for Dune, but you, you you never get the explanation. They they always hint towards it, right? Yeah. And uh, well, I I also like the books afterwards. They're not as good, obviously. And I think that one of the disadvantages is that he went too far into details, and suddenly you get the answers to all these questions which you never really wanted because you have the knowledge, but then the world kind of loses the. I want to say wonder, but it's more than that, like intimacy in some way. It becomes a construct, it becomes divided from you, it becomes a body of knowledge. Like I can list, I can facts. do a list, yeah, I can list facts about Arrakis, where in the first book it's like, I don't really know what's happening and it's real yeah, it's, in some way. Much like you said, that reality doesn't work that way. Like, yeah. I don't know, even about my own people, I don't know the complete history and yeah. stuff like that. So why would I know that about I mean, every the, single single society? In yeah, definitely. I think that Frank Herbert is a good place to do our bullshit philosophy segment because I think this like works into uh, like Gödel's theorems that the more that the system is complicated, the less it's able to prove its own like basic axioms. So it's the same thing here. I know it's a very dumb, dumb <laughs> yeah. version of the theorems, obviously, <laughs> but it's the same thing here. Like in search of realness. You start describing, and the more information you add, somehow the object becomes less real. Like the world becomes more a collection of facts rather than a place which, which you can go to. Yeah. So that's enough about Dune, I think. We can talk. Just, yeah, we can we do can. a whole episode just on, on Dune. It's such a great so book. So let us know. <laughs> uh, I think that the last thing I want to say on, on our previous conversation, uh, want, it's on the list, and it's the deterministic list, so I have to talk about it. No, I'm joking. Uh, is... It's the notion of, okay, so obviously it's a book and it's a story, so it's going to use tropes, right? The thing is, is that there are a lot of tropes which are classic science fiction, air quotes, um, that sometimes books feel the need to check off the list, right? This is most obvious in cyberpunk. There has to be a woman in spandex, right? There has to be a hacking scene. There has to be all this nonsense. There has to be the scene in VR where the data is like raining down on the screen and... 
the good books are those that use those tropes. Use what they need. Use what they need, exactly. But also, the things that they do use, they use subtly. You don't feel it when, it, when the writer's like crossing things off his list. Yeah, I have an anti-example on that yeah, one. Go ahead. Uh, I recently tried playing Techno Babylon, mm-hmm. which is a, a game by Wadgetai, who did the Blackwell series. It's adventure games. They're, the Blackwell games are very fun. And I tried Techno Babylon, and it's a cyberpunk game. And it's like they went with a, an actual list. Like you start in the VR. I don't even remember what it's called. And your character has like green highlights in her oh, hair. Oh, God. And <laughs> it's just... Oh, that sounds terrible. It, yeah. it was terrible. I think that, that a good example for this is maybe The Star's My Destination. Yeah. By Alfred Bester. And he's like a forgotten master right it's not one of the names when you ask people who are the great science fiction writers no they'll, says, they'll say no. C. Clark, Asimov maybe if they're a bit more knowledgeable Sima, Heinlein all that stuff but no one says Alfred Bester and actually Alfred Bester uh, is a self-proclaimed master in the sense that he's a writer's writer like yeah. all these great writers always spoke of Alfred Bester very highly and he wrote The Stars My Destination which is like proto- Space opera, proto cyberpunk. Yeah, it's also like all the all the books we list here, of course, are like I'll say one of the best books I've ever. Yeah, read. yeah, but yeah. The yeah. stars like this mention really is one, and it does. It uses tropes so. So just, I mean, I think it's a less known book, so maybe we can do like we're not gonna spoil anything, obviously, but yeah. like the setting. So and remember, this was written in the fifties. Sixties. Sixties, yeah. So it's proto all this stuff. So you, you're gonna hear a lot of cliches right now, but. This is the book that really. started the cliches. No, a, a future that corporations corporations control yeah. most of the power because they're the only ones that can go into space, right? They have the resources to build spaceships. And this person, um, Foyle, what's his, what's his first Foyle. name? Gali Foyle. He's like a contractor, right? Yeah, he gets stuck on a, on a ship. On a ship, but he's there like working a job. Yeah. And from there, everything goes to hell. He starts finding so out. So much happens. So much happens. It's, it's yeah, a book. everything happens. Everything happens in, in that book. And, and it goes from really small, like the story of Guy yeah. Fall, and then it encompasses the entire fictional world and shakes like but, the world But orders. still, what we mentioned earlier about characters, it never loses the singular focus on Guy Foyle. Foyle and yeah. his personality and his journey. In, in as, essence, as like a way to tell the story of yeah, the definitely, entire Yeah, definitely. In essence, world. it's an American novel exploring the idea of the savage. Which is, yeah. which is a trope within American literature and European literature as well. I mean, the original name of the book is Tiger, Tiger, which is a quote from a William Blake song, poem, sorry. And it's all about the savage, right? So Gallifoyle is the savage, yeah. like a barbarian, and that gives him certain powers over civilized people because he's willing to cross borders, which they're not. And it also has a lot of interesting ideas about uh, fonts, right? It plays... Um, mostly, games. mostly later in the book. N- near the end. It yeah. has interesting ideas about the print, like the book form and what yeah. you can do with it. Okay, we won't okay. say anymore because we're going into spoiler territory. Yeah. Um, so I don't think we have a lot more about what constitutes a perfect sci-fi book. Yeah, I think from here on have... we can just give on like more examples of, of how these these things work. I, I yeah. have the last one, so you, you have this one. So uh, there is. it's not strictly sci-fi, but Good Omens by Good Terry Omens. Pratchett and Neil Gaiman. Yeah. Uh, it's not... It's not really sci-fi at yeah. all, but it's fantasy. I mean, it's and it's also it's also a case of the two authors. Yeah, like, they can't write anything which won't be categorized in some way as fantasy sci-fi because that's where they come from. Yeah, and so it's a collaborative work where you feel 
it's like the best of both worlds, yeah, in my opinion. Definitely. It's all the advantages of Pratchett and all the advantages of uh, Neil Gaiman. And it's one of the fa- funniest books I've ever read. It's about the end of the world. It's about the end of the world. And it's about uh, the Antichrist and a witch who prophesied the end of the world like, yeah. in the 13th century or something like that. Yeah. We have the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Yeah. But they modernized them. We won't spoil anything, but death, they modernized them. Death, death is sort death. of... Terry Pratchett's death. Yeah, Terry, one of the it's best not solid, characters. It's, it's Terry yeah. Pratchett's death. Right? One he speaks of the in capitals. Best characters of all time. Undoubtedly, <laughs> undoubtedly, and and they reimagine the other Horsemen of the Apocalypse, and it has angels and demons as well. So you get that Neil Gaiman influence. Yeah, and it's funny. It's, it's like the first few pages are amazing. It's hilarious. It's it has like a lot of small stories that tie together. As I said about the uh, stars, my destination, the, the tie together without losing focus and without like you always know who is who, even when you have like twenty characters. And the characters have them. their own like um, quirks, which uh, unfold within the storyline. Like a character does something, and you tell yourself that makes sense because yeah. that's what this guy does, right? Yeah. So what's the what if question here? What if the world actually came to an end? Is that the what if? What if? I think it's more of a what if the war between. Heaven and hell, angels and demons, yeah. blah blah blah. Actually, was actually a thing. Was actually a thing, and was now coming to a to a head. Yeah, to a head. Yeah, that's of. interesting. So let's go a bit farther. Yeah, like a bit more weirder, and go to Left Hand of Darkness. So Ursula K. Le Guin wrote a book. It's called The Left Hand of Darkness. She wrote it in the seventies, and it's well, technically, it's her most successful book, like uh, achievement-wise. She yeah. won both the Hugo and the Nebula for it, and maybe the C. Clark Award or the Campbell Award. And it's a very good book. She's my favorite writer, and it's about well, again, I'm trying not to spoil too much, but in Ursula Le Guin's universe, humanity is long collapsed, and there's this sort of empire, galactic empire, but the empire is based around knowledge and not military power. They facilitate communication between races and they facilitate research. And one of their envoys comes to a planet where it's a nice planet. Uh, Ice and winter play a big role in the book. But also there are many peoples on it. And one of those peoples uh, doesn't have uh, sex. And sex for them is uh, a monthly thing. So when the menstruation cycle begins, pheromones are released into the air. And then the person's body changes and becomes sexualized. And then gentrified, and she she um, distinguishes between those two states to fit the tribe. So if the tribe needs more women, then more women are created. And if the tribe needs more men, then more men are created. But then they go to this neutral place. And that's the what if, right? What if there was a race yeah. that wasn't sexualized? Well, yeah, and there's like, it's a, it's a long book. It's worth every single page. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. And uh, Is it that long? How long I is it? I think it's about 500 pages or something. No, it's shorter than that, surely. Maybe on Kindle. Uh, I don't know. Whatever. It's, 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 not, that it's not that long. It's yeah. not like Shogun or... Yeah, yeah, it's not like that. an epic. And uh, it plays around that whole central idea, like the entire society and how other societies yeah. collide with that But society. again, you follow a, a small number of characters as they either come to terms with that race because they're outsiders right or people within that race coming to terms with their own bodies and their own society but also with the idea of a stranger yeah and this is something which goes through all of Ursula Gwynn's books um the stranger the other uh the the idea of 
I think that what I like most about her is she takes this scene of the encounter with the yeah. aliens and she changes it completely. And she says, it won't be like, you know, in third encounters of, of uh, in encounters of the third kind, it's generals. Yeah. Like, and she's like, it's not going to be the generals. It's going to be anthropologists and historians and philosophers and linguists and stuff like that. And it's not going to be like we meet and then we break. It's a long process, right? This, this civilization has stages which you slowly evolve in. So it's very, it's also very well written because it's also it's like, amazing. It's amazing. Written. It's amazing book, but it's also great sci-fi because it has that that balance. Yeah. Um, so maybe one last one, which isn't like doesn't have that one centralized what if question, yeah. uh, but that uh, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency by Douglas Adams. The Douglas Adams. The Douglas Adams, <laughs> um, which has like. Ghosts and it's kind of like taking the trope of the occult detective, yeah, and turning it upside down because the detective is useless and incompetent and he just sucks. Manages to like, he has the fool, right? He has the fool trope, exactly. He stumbles from place to place, but he somehow succeeds. And it's just, it, it, first of all, it's very funny because it's Douglas it's Adams, hilarious. it's the, the plot is so well realized, like, it's not that subtle. Uh, anthropological thing which Ursula, Ursula K. Le Guin does it's well it's much more straightforward yeah and, obviously but it's amazingly written and there are a few books with Dirk Gently in them yeah there's another one and sort of a half book which he hasn't completed and there, there is character progression I think, I think that's the thing that Douglas Adams does the best in Hitchhiker's Guide as well like yeah, you start of off with a character and then you naturally see them progress like I'm, I'm diverging here but I'm thinking about Think about Arthur from Hitchhikers in the first book, and then in the fourth book, yeah. where he's making sandwiches on this whatever plane. That's the fifth book. The fifth book, yeah. So it's just a completely different character. Right? Yeah. And I think that Dirty Gently is a good example because he never quite learns. He stays the same because he's a bummy fool, but then his emotional capacity yeah. changes. He, he grows. Sort of. It's very, very interesting. And it's really. You're not going to let me talk about grass? Talk about grass. Okay. I mean, we talked about Ursula, yeah, so we can't okay. talk about, talk about grass. not talk about grass. So grass was written by Shirley, Shirley S. Sherry. Sherry? Sherry? Sherry S. Tepper. Yes. Yes. So it's obviously a book which drives a lot from Ursula Le Guin. It's almost like written in, in the prologue. It's about this planet which was colonized a few generations ago. So there's a generation ship trope. And it's a weird, it has a weird ecology. And I can say very little about the book because I'll spoil it. Because like the first 80 pages, there's some sort of mystery. And then it gets resolved. And like that changes the whole book. But there's like a very dangerous and ominous ecology. And also a very solidified and um, gentrified society. So the nobles and the commoners live completely apart. And it's a really good book because it's all from the viewpoint of one character. Yeah. The entire book is from the viewpoint of one visitor to these civilizations, which no, who knows nothing about that civilization. And it's really fascinating because the reader doesn't have any of the information. All the information that we have is from that one character. And then you slowly, as that character learns, you learn with her, which is something that's very hard to accomplish because readers want to know. They want to know what's happening, right? But you can't because it's one character. Yeah. Uh, it also, to wrap us back around, yeah. it also, books which are about a planet can be very, uh, like, accomplish this world building feat mm-hmm. of actually you imagine the planet you, yeah. you can envision life that brings us back to dune as well like yeah, the exactly. ecology that's, and the cycle of life I, I think that the way i want to close this off i mean we didn't mention roger zelesny which i think is a mistake he has a few perfect books but i think that 
he wrote one of the smartest things I've ever read about. I think it was the beginning of Amber. He says, the difference between a good writer and a bad writer is the letter I. Like a good writer uses the first person narrative. And I think that I don't agree with him completely, but I do agree that the first narrative is much harder to accomplish. But if you pull it off, it's amazing. It becomes like so much more of a portal because you're... Yeah, you're emotionally invested. Definitely. Because also, you say the I, yeah. right? And it becomes you. But also, the world is perceived through the eyes of a visitor like you. So, it's quite interesting. Yeah. So, we didn't mention... A lot of writers. So. We didn't mention almost any yeah. sci-fi writer, of course. And there are a lot of great books. But these uh, like stood out to us as... Pretty much flawless. We're going to do the audience participation thing, call to action. Uh, yeah, of If course. If you have perfect books of your own, yeah, let us write know it in, the, in comments the comments below. Love and don't forget book. to like, share, subscribe, retweet. Uh, what, what do well, you what do else? on Instagram? Do you, do, we don't have it. Regram. Regram. Anyway. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for listening and see you next time. Bye-bye.